get your Bible, stand up with me. Let's go to the book of Psalms. And I want you to find Psalm 142. Psalm 142. We're going to read the entirety of this psalm. There is one phrase that has captured my heart. I've been looking at it throughout the Bible. And tonight, this just happens to be the text in which we will land. Psalm 142, if you are there, holler, amen. Amen. This is a psalm of David. He said, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me. Then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked have they privately laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. Notice this. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Father, I ask you tonight to open up the windows of heaven and pour us out a blessing. This world is filled with discouragement. There is enough bad news to depress all of us outside of these doors. And what we need tonight is a touch from another world. We need the word of God to come in conjunction with the Spirit of God and change us. Do an eternal thing in this church tonight. Do it in my heart. And God, I pray that we would give you all of the glory for what takes place here. And it is in Jesus' precious, perfect, pure, powerful name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. You can be seated. For the last several weeks, the Lord has buried my heart in those two words that are found in verse number four. He said, there was no man that would know me. He goes on to say that no man cared for my soul. I'm going to need an amen right here just to get started. There are times in life where no one can do for us what Jesus can do for us. If you were to read the heading of this psalm, you would see that it says a prayer when David was in a cave. The cave that is referenced here is the cave Adullam. It is found in your Bible. We'll not go there, but you can study it on your own time. 
It is found in 1 Samuel chapter 22. David has been anointed king, but he has not yet been appointed to the throne. How many of you know that some of the toughest times in life is when we know what God has for us, but he's not given it to us yet? David is in that place of in-between. Saul is pursuing him. Saul wants to kill him and take his life. David flees to this cave. If we were to read 1 Samuel 22, we would find, very interestingly, that David is not alone in that cave. As a matter of fact, kind of a strange place for him to have written these words that no man would look on him and that no man would care for his soul. When David entered that cave, the Bible tells us that his family and his father's household came to that cave and surrounded David in that place of discouragement. His father is there. And believe it or not, his low down good for nothing brothers were there too. They came to where he was. The familiar faces of his childhood, the comforting hand of his father. David is surrounded by family in that cave. The Bible also tells us in 1 Samuel 22 that in that cave that 400 men came and surrounded David. This is the beginning of the mighty men of David the baddest men on the planet, the toughest warriors to ever live have congregated inside of that cave. David's surrounded by family. David has the presence of his earthly father. And David is protected behind a wall of 400 tenacious soldiers. But oh, I need somebody to help me preach tonight. There are times of loneliness that have nothing to do with who is around you, but it has a lot to do with what is going on inside you. David was surrounded by safety. He was surrounded by sympathetic folk, but yet he is in a season of loneliness, in a place of discouragement. And he pens these words, no man would know me. And no man cared for my soul. Let me ask you a question tonight. How many of you believe that King James Bible is the perfect, preserved, pure word of God? Now, if we believe that every word is inspired and preserved, and I do, we ought to pay close attention to what David has said. Hallelujah. David said, no man cared for my soul. He did not say no man cared about my soul. He didn't say no man was concerned for me. He did not say that no man cared about him. He said no man cared for my soul. Now stay with me. There is a great difference in caring about and caring for. How many of you know that our healthcare workers, 
are called caregivers. They are called caregivers because not only do they care about, but they are trained in such a way that they can involve themselves in the hurt of the patients they are watching over. I can care about you, but that doesn't mean that I'm qualified to care for you. Now, if you called me tonight and said, Brother Jonathan, I'm having a heart attack. Well, I would care about you, but I can't care for you. If you called me tonight and said, Preacher, I've been diagnosed with some uh, terminal disease and I have some serious health issues, oh, I would care about you, but I'm not qualified to care for you. There's a lot of people that cared about David, but David said, I need the Lord to care for me because those that care about me cannot do for me what needs to be done. Y'all understand what I'm saying tonight? No doubt that every one of us in this building, we have got people that care about us. But there will be seasons of life when those that care about us can't do anything for us. And I think sometimes we get bent out of shape because we want people to be to us what only God can be to us. <laughs> Have you ever been in a discouraging place and you, and you just felt like you needed some help and so you got with your best friend and you told them all about it and by the time you got through telling them about it, you figured out you're in worse shape than you was when you started. You ever sit down to talk to your wife or your husband and you begin to tell them what's going on with you and before you got through, you was confused and mad and in worse shape than you was when you started. <laughs> no, good for you. Because <laughs> people that care about us can't always care for us. David said there's plenty of people that care about me but there's no man that can care for me. So David goes to God and I need some help right here in the times when no one can care for us. I'm glad that we have a place of prayer that makes a difference in our situation. Oh, I love the wording of this psalm. Notice a couple of things. Just look at your Bible and I'll, I'll point them out. He said in verse one, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. That's his physical audible voice. That is his sound box. That is his open mouth producing sounds and words. Then he said, with my voice unto the Lord did I make supplication. Notice verse two. I poured out my complaint. Verse two, I showed before him my trouble, but something is changing. There is a transition between verse one and verse three. Hey, glory, in verse one, it starts out as a physical prayer. Words that are spoken, sounds that are made. And in verse two, he is emptying himself out. But in verse three, when his spirit was overwhelmed, then the Lord heard his prayer. 
I want to tell you something. God will allow you to go to some places that move you out of the natural and will cause you to operate in the supernatural. We can pray prayers with our voice all day that make no difference in the light of eternity. Amen. But when you begin to pour out your soul before the Lord, you better get ready because heaven has heard that prayer. Those ritualistic prayers that are nothing more than the making of sounds and the speaking of words, they do not move the heart nor the hand of God. But bless his name when it gets past the physical, when it gets past the natural, and when you get the ear of God and your soul is connected to heaven, God answers prayer. You believe that tonight? God answers prayer. I'm going to say that till somebody believes it. God answers prayer. God answers your prayer. I said God answers your prayer. God answers my prayer. He's not a respecter of persons. If an aged saint of God with a life of time of credentials bows their head and prays, God hears that prayer. But if a brand new baby Christian who's never even cracked open a Bible calls out to heaven, God hears that prayer. Prayer's not some credit account that you build up with God and you cash it in. Prayer is a direct line to heaven. You have access to that tonight. David prayed and prayer changes things. I was some years ago in the country of Albania We had been there for several weeks passing out Bibles and doing just really groundbreaking work there, putting out the Word of God in every major city and minor city and many villages in the country of Albania. We were in a little place one day and uh, we were going to leave by a certain time so we wouldn't be on the road at dark. And as we got back in the van to leave. The fellow that was driving accidentally took a wrong turn. And he took a wrong turn on a one-way street. A one-way street going the wrong direction. We're going down and there's no place to turn around. A narrow little road going the wrong way on a wrong turn on a one-way street. Finally, we come to a little place where you could turn around if you did a couple of points and as he was turning that van around, one of the fellas in the van said, while you're turning this around, he said, there's a lady on that porch that I'm gonna run and give her one of these Bibles. Gets out of the van and takes that Bible and she was a widow, you could tell by her traditional Widow's attire, all black, black hat, black clothes, black shoes. He placed that Bible in her hand in the Albanian language. She hollered for him to stop in Albanian. She asked him to stop and a young man came out of the house. She spoke to that young man and the young man said, can you wait? He said, I can. He takes off running down an alleyway behind that house and disappears. The preacher come back to the van and said, I gave her a Bible, 
Young boy came out, wants me to wait. Said, I don't know what for. Said, but we'll wait. In about 10 minutes, he comes back with a young man, poorly dressed, dirty clothes, shabby in his appearance. In his mid-20s, that young man said, did you give her that Bible? Said, yes, sir, we did. Tears began to form in his eyes. He said, do you have any more of them? Said, we sure do. How many do you want? He said, I want all you can get. We went around to the back of the van where we had box after box after box of Bibles. He began to weep openly. He said, I pastor a church for gypsies in this area. And he said, we have been praying that God would send us some Bibles. He said, can I have a box of these Bibles? We said, you sure can, we got them out. He said, I know you guys are probably in a hurry. He said, but every Tuesday at four o'clock, we have prayer meeting at the church. It was Tuesday at 3.45. (laughs) He said, if you have time, I'd love for you to come to the church and I want the folks to meet how God answered our prayer and brought us Bibles. We parked that van, went down that alleyway, went into that little storefront church building about, I'd say about a three quarters the size of this auditorium. And on a Tuesday at four, it was packed. I'm talking about wall to wall with people at prayer meeting on a Tuesday at four. That little preacher got up and told those folks in their native language that God had sent them Bibles. Now I'm here to tell you, you'd have thought they won the lottery. They passed out those Bibles and he let some of us preach and when we got through, uh, we were in the back and he was making announcements and talking to the church and when we were in the back, we decided that since God had brought us here, that we ought to take up an offering amongst us on the trip and give it to this little church. So we did. And you know the interesting thing about giving an offering in a foreign currency is you don't really know what you've given until after you've given. <laughs> it's a pretty good offering, come find out. And uh, we took up that money. And honestly, there was probably, I think, six of us on that trip. And it was right around $2,000. That preacher came back after he got through with all of his little announcements. And we told him, said, the Lord laid this on our heart and we want you to have this. And he just fell apart. That's what he said. He said, I know you couldn't understand. He said, but what I was telling them is that we can't afford the rent on this building anymore. And this month's going to be our last month. And we're going to have to find somewhere else. We showed him the offer and told him how much it was. I said, is that enough to pay the rent this month? He said, that's about enough to buy the building. (laughs) Now, we did not know him. And he did not know us. But God heard the prayers of a little Albanian church. And at the dead end of a wrong way, one way turn, where a widow was sitting on her stoop and a boy was in the house, God had a plan. 
to answer prayer. And I've come to tell somebody tonight, there's a lot of people that care about you, but no man can care for you like God who is on the other end of our prayers. (laughs) He knows what we have need of and he knows the answer before we know the problem. David begins to pray because no man could care for him. But I want you to notice David has a confession. He says in verse number four, I looked on my right hand and behold, but there was, say that out loud, no man that would know me. Now watch this, refuge failed me. Refuge failed me. That is an interesting word, refuge, because it literally means this, a retreat. When the captain would call for a retreat, the battle was too hot, if the war was being lost, the casualties were too many, and it was evident that this was a losing fight They would call for retreat and those men would go back to the refuge. It was somewhere they trusted in for safety. And David, being a man of war, understood this terminology and this is what he's saying is I, hallelujah, he didn't say hallelujah, I said hallelujah about what he said, but stay with me and we'll all say hallelujah. David said, I went back to that which had always been there for me. I went back to that which had always been my safe place. I went back to that which had always shielded me, which had always comforted me. But he said, when I went back this time, refuge failed me. I need some honest folk to help me tonight. Many of you know we've all got something that we trust in. Maybe I can change it. We've all got somebody that we trust in. You know, this world has many refuges that they run to. Some run to a bottle and they find refuge in alcohol. Others run to a bag of pills and they find refuge in drugs. Oh, there's some that run to their money, a bank account, a retirement plan, some investment, some fun, and they take refuge in that financial security. But I need some folks that's lived a while to help me right here. There will be storms in life that are greater than any refuge you can run to. You can find yourself in such dismay that there's not enough alcohol in the world to drown out that hurt. There's not enough dope in the world to make you forget about the cares of this life. There's not enough money in the world to pay off the problems that plague our soul. But thank God, when the refuge of this world fails me, there's one that cares for me. Young people, I I saw all these young men in the in the prayer room and these young ladies here, let me tell you something, if you have a godly mother and father, you are blessed. 
You ought to love them. You ought to trust them and you ought to be close to them. But I'm going to be very honest with you. There will come times in life when mom and daddy will not be enough. You can run to them, but they will not be a refuge for every difficulty that comes into your life. You've got to have a connection higher than mom and daddy. They care about you. They care about you. But there are some things they can't care for you. But thank God when refuge failed me. What did he say? I think it's in the very next verse. He said, but I cried unto thee, O Lord, and I said, thou art my refuge. David had many that cared about him, but there was none that could care for him. And when refuge fell, listen to me. Did you hear me tonight? His father is in that cave. 400 of the baddest men to ever walk the planet are surrounding the entrance to that cave. But none could be a refuge for the hurt and the anxiousness in David's spirit. Thank God when our refuge fails, we have a retreat in the Lord himself. As much I could say, David goes down and he comes to verse seven. And in verse seven, he says this, bring my soul out of prison. Why? That I may praise thy name. You see, David was in a place where he was bound. Let me talk to you for just a minute. The word prison in this text, you can check me when you get home. This is my time right now. I'm on the clock. Y'all quit goofing off. We got work to do. The word prison there, it means a fastener. It means a fastener. It's literally the same picture of when Paul and Silas was bound and placed in the prison. His I guess the best way I could say it in our modern day vernacular and understanding would be handcuffs. And this is what David is saying. He said, my soul is in prison. Now watch, his hands are fastened together. He is bound. I guess we could say it like this, his hands are tied. You ever been in a place in life where your hands were tied? Where you wanted to do something, you needed to do something, everything in you was pushing you to do something, but your hands were tied. Y'all ever been there? Let me say it like this. You you knew you needed to do something and and, and, and you really wanted to do something. Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about. You had some things you really wanted to do, but your hands were tied. David said, I'm in this cave and I know what I want to do and I feel like I know what I need to do but my hands are tied. And he said, Lord, if you would come and deliver me from this prison, from these fasteners that have tied my hands, watch now, I will, what? Praise thy name. Now, we said we believe that King James Bible Do you know what the word praise means in your Old Testament? It means to lift the hands in adoration. So, (laughs) here's what David is saying. 
Right now, my hands are tied up. Look at me. It's hard to praise him when your hands are tied. It's hard to praise him when your hands are bound. But David said, if you'll loose my hands and if you'll set me free, I'll take those same hands that were bound and I'll praise your name. I wonder tonight how many of us have been in a place where our hands were tied, but that's past tense, and the Lord has set us free. Well, let me just say it like this. He did what we asked him to do. Now we ought to do what we said we'd do. We said, Lord, if you'll get me out of here, I'll praise you. You're out. Have you praised him? Lord, if you'll work, I'll praise you. He worked. But have you praised him? I'll just be real honest with you. I think a lot of us have got outstanding debt in heaven's praise account. We said we would, but we never did. I want to get my praising up to date tonight. I want to thank him for the days that he did what I asked him to. I want to thank him for the days that he blessed me. Thank him for the prayers that he answered. Thank him for the miles that he watched over me. Thank him for the protected hedge that he placed around me. I'm free and I'm going to praise him. (laughs) David said no man could care for me. But thank God when none could care for me David said the Lord can loose me and if he looses me I'm going to bless his name. We had church there Sunday where I pastor and toward the end of the service I looked over there's a young man that's been coming for about I guess about a month now maybe a little longer the first time that he came I saw him but I didn't get a chance to speak to him the second Sunday that he came he approached me after the service and told me his story fresh out of prison living in a halfway house. Prison tattoos on his knuckles, all the way up his arms, on his neck. He stood out in the welcome center out in front of the church. This is what he said. He said, just a few months ago, I was locked up in prison. And he said, preacher, just a few weeks ago, I was more locked, I was out of prison, but I was more bound than I was when I was in. He said, Just two weeks ago, before I came to this church, I guess it would have been three at that time, he said, just three weeks ago, he said, I was using heroin daily. He said, but the Lord. (laughs) But the Lord set me free. See, there's a lot of people care about that young man. I have no doubt. I don't know his family yet. But I have no doubt somebody somewhere has been praying for him. I'd even say that his sponsor at the halfway house cares about him. (laughs) But thank God, though many may care about us, there's only one that can care for us. And Sunday we was having church. They were singing a song that says, I am redeemed. And it says, I'll shake off these heavy chains 
and I'm not the one that I used to be. When they got to sing that about being renewed, I looked over there and I seen them big old tattooed forearms up in the air. <laughs> Needle tracks still leaving scars, tears flowing down his face because hands that were bound are now lifted in praise. A lot of people care about us, but friend, there's only one that can care for us. I wonder what you have tonight that you've been so frustrated about because it seems like nobody cares. It's not that they don't care, it's that they can't do anything about it. But thank God he not only cares about us, somebody ought to help me, he is qualified to care for us. Stand up with me all over this building.